Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchange church. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Uh, I'm excited to be here today, man. Anybody have a rough week? Nobody? Okay, good. Just, just me. All right. So it wasn't a bad week. It's just uh, this election stuff. Whew. Man, it's draining. I'm not even in it. It's draining. Um, I am going to address it for a second because I've been asked all week long uh, what I'm going to say. I was actually asked if I was preaching a message on the election. Uh, I was sent this week an invite to a forum that has uh, several thousand pastors in it. Uh, so I just kind of started watching the forum and listening to some of their what they're going to say sun, this Sunday. And I thought, whew, I'm not going to be a part of that. <laughs> I'm not going to be a part of that. So here's my, here's my stance on what's going on with election. My stance hasn't changed. My stance won't change whether uh, who I voted for becomes president or doesn't become president. My stance is this, love. And my job is to love, and it's to love unconditionally. Whoever's in office, whether I voted for them or not, my job is to lift them up, pray for the best for them, pray for the best for their family. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but that's my stance. And so uh, it's just to love. And, and that doesn't change. It doesn't change, you know. I have my, my own personal convictions, my own uh, philosophies, and, and I vote towards my convictions. But whatever the vote ever, if it ever turns out to be true, whatever, I don't care. Uh, my, my stance is this, is that my stance as a man of God, as a child of God, will never change. It's just to love and love unconditionally and and love, and, and Jesus even says, pray for those who persecute you. So uh, even people who would disagree with my stance, I'm just supposed to pray and, and love them and bless them. So uh, there you go. I preached on uh, the election. And so uh, those that were emailing me and asking me if I was going to share on the election, I just did. So there's my stance. So anyway, moving on to my message. Uh, today we, we are in part number four. Uh, of a series we've been doing. It's the last part of our series called Leading Through. And uh, now, now let me, let me back up because I want to say this before with this whole thing. I don't take lightly where we are as a nation. And I'm not telling you not to continue to pray for our nation. Okay? Okay. I just want to say that. I don't want anybody to go, well, you don't even care, blah, blah, blah. I care and I do pray. So, we're in part four of our series, Leading Through, and this is, uh, our subtitle is Three Essential Uncertainty, through navigating, three essentials for navigating through uncertainty, through navigating through difficult times and difficult seasons, and this has been a crazy year. Whether it has been really, you can chalk it up to difficult or just crazy or whatever, I don't care, but it. It, we've not been to this place before, right? Um, to face the things that we've, we've faced. And for some people, it has been really 
hard to stay positive, to stay encouraged, to stay driven, stay motivated. And, and for those of us, which is probably everyone in this room, we feel a responsibility to lead uh, our families, our friends, our neighbors, uh, maybe employees, or maybe a community. We feel a sense of urgency to lead and navigate through these uncertain times. And being a leader when everything is just calm and normal uh, is, is tough. It's, being a leader is tough anyway. But leading through the things that we've been going through this year is not easy. And um, believe it or not, at the beginning of 2020, they didn't send a roadmap to our mailbox and tell us, here's what's going to happen. Okay, throughout the year, we're going to go through all these things. And this is how you need to handle it as a Christian, non-Christian. They they didn't tell me that. Um, I was asking Siri this morning just for fun. Uh, I just thought it'd be fun to ask Siri. So I asked her, hey, Siri, how do I handle, uh, see, she's responding right now. I'm not really talking to you. How do I handle a pandemic combined with an economic shutdown that has left left us teetering on economic meltdown while navigating social unrest during an election year, an election that is going to continue to go on and on and on and on and on? Siri's response was, and I took a screenshot of it, um, let's see if I can find it real quickly. Siri's response to me this morning was, on the future, Americans can agree, it doesn't look good. That was Siri's response. So my response to Siri was, Siri, you are no help. Her response back to me was, we can agree to disagree and still be agreeable. So, so Siri didn't even really help me through this crazy time uh, that we have been going through. But I don't know about you, but it's, this is kind of my first journey in something like this. Uh, but if you're like me, you're not just leading you, you're leading the yous around you. You know, the little ones that are looking up to you, the, the people that you work with, the people that you, you do life with, your neighbors, your, your family, and your friends, and and maybe you're a coach or a teacher or a, a public leader. We are in this together, and you can relate with me. And it's difficult. It's difficult. Every father who's lost his job or every mother who finds herself parenting alone, every small business owner trying to stay afloat, every manager, maybe this is you. Maybe you can relate as, as someone walks in the door and all eyes are on them as they log into their computer or they get onto a Zoom meeting. We don't have all the answers and we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to say. This is brand new for most of us, right? But there's an element, there's an aspect of what we're going through that is not new. And it's actually been around forever. And it's always going to be around, and that's uncertainty. Uncertainty. We've said it almost every week. Uncertainty is a permanent part of life. And uncertainty is why the world needs leaders. It is why the world needs leadership. It is why your family needs you. It is why your friends need you. It is why your company needs you. It is why your city needs you. Uncertainty. So we've been discussing over the last several weeks uh, the the three essentials, the non-negotiables for leading through Times of disruption, 
times of uncertainty. So if you haven't been here uh, or haven't got a chance to hear all the messages, I'm going to recap the last couple uh, of the three essentials. The first one was moral authority. Okay, some of you may remember that, but moral authority is one of the ways that we lead through times of disruption and uncertainty. Moral authority is the the alignment between what we say we're going to do and what we actually do. Okay, when we're talking about moral authority, moral authority is the alignment between what we expect of others and what we expect of ourselves. There has to be an alignment. Moral authority is the credibility that you earn by walking your talk, okay? By living what you say, by being who you say you are. We, we gain, gain credibility through moral authority, and with credibility creates influence. And in times of uncertainty, influence is everything. Can I get an Amen. The second non-negotiable that we talked about, Pastor Kevin talked about this last week, is clarity. Clarity. Clarity is so important. Clarity has really been our theme for the entire year. And wow, what a crazy, crazy theme uh, throughout 2020. But clarity is, is, see, you can be uncertain as a leader, but you can't afford to be unclear. Our mandate as a leader and as parents is to be clear even when we're not certain. And here's why. Clarity is actually perceived and experienced as leadership. So in times of disruption, clarity, manager, teacher, coach, whatever, to certainty. So mom, dad, manager, teacher, coach, whatever, be clear even when you're not certain to which is pretty much most of the time, right? And that brings us to our third non-negotiable today. Uh, Our third non-negotiable, through difficult times, we have our moral authority. We have to lead with clarity. And the third and final part of this series is you must display your humanity. Everybody say humanity. Amen. You must display your humanity. You have to be human. You have to be vulnerable. We have to be transparent and we have to be real. We have to learn how to exercise this little muscle that we have and it's called an empathy muscle, right? We have to practice that. We have to learn what it is to be human. The people who are looking to you need to experience your humanity and here's why. When I'm convinced that you know how I feel, I will be far more open to your influence. When I believe that you understand where I'm at and what I'm talking about, then I I open myself, I become vulnerable to your influence because then I know that you see where I'm at and that you understand how I feel. And so uh, the, the fact is, especially when you're asking me to follow you in the unknown I need to know that you know where I'm at that you know how I feel when you acknowledge and you legitimize my fear and my worry and my concern I'll trust you however if you ignore it if you downplay it if you brush it off if you criticize it if you judge it 
If you seem to be unaware of how the current reality is impacting me, how the current reality is impacting my family, then what's going to happen is I will resist you. You won't have influence in my life. You won't lead me anywhere because you don't understand me. The reason that you won't lead me anywhere is you don't get me. If you want to have influence in my life, you have to convince me that you get me. Does that make sense? You have to convince me that you get me, that you understand me. I'm not going to just blindly follow somebody who doesn't understand why I feel the way I feel, who doesn't understand why I think the way I think. I need you to be human. I need you to show your humanity. Author Patrick Lencioni was recently asked, what are you telling leaders during this time in 2020? And this was about two months ago, he was asked this, and, and he consults with business leaders. He has a lot of influence and, and uh, a lot of people around him that he speaks into. And here's what he said, and I'll put it up there. He said, I'm telling leaders to be human. I'm telling leaders to be human and to check in often. Come on. No one has ever left a company because the leader over-communicated or communicated too often. But, but to be clear about expressing your humanity within context as your role of a leader, this isn't just empathy for empathy's sake. This isn't one of those, I'm worried and you're worried, so let's just be worried together kind of thing. That version, that's, that's a version of empathy, but it's not leadership that I'm talking about. It's not what your family and the people who are depending on you actually need right now. Empathy within the context of leadership, is for the purpose of building trust. And when you build trust, you build influence. And when you build influence, people will follow you. So people depend on you. They trust you. When they trust you enough, they'll follow you. You'll have influence in their life, and you can lead through these uncertain and disrupting times that we're in. Now, there's actually a biblical term for this, and I'm going to use this biblical term uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's really an awesome, powerful term. It's going to make some of you nervous because talking about leadership and your role as a leader, I'm actually putting this term on you, and, uh, but it's a term that most of you will probably recognize, and it's this, pastor. Everybody say pastor. Pastor. It's the term pastor. And for most of us, when we hear the term pastor, it immediately has a religious connotation to it. it immediately, it's connected to church or religion or things like that. But that's not what it was into. That, technically, that's not what it should be because that's not where it comes from. It actually comes from the Latin term for shepherd. Okay? That makes sense. A lot of you knew that. But here's a fun fact for you. The term pastor actually should have never appeared in our English New Testament because it's not the tr right translation of the Greek text. Bible translators actually substituted the Latin term for pastor for the Greek term shepherd. Why did they do that? That's a, a whole other message for another time, and we'll preach that. But originally... Like as in back in Jesus' day, uh, originally pastoring or literally shepherding was a function, not a church office. It was a function. It was not a church position. It wasn't a position 
in a religious organization. It was a function that, that people did. Now, the important thing for our discussion is that, is that during times of disruption and uncertainty, our families and our communities and uh, the people who are looking to us, maybe our, our students, they, they need to be pastored. They need to be shepherded, not because they're sheep, but because they're looking to you and they're looking to me for what sheep actually look to their shepherds for. And, and they look to their shepherds for protection, security, and reassurance. So as I speak to you this morning, as I'm talking to you about leadership and your role as a leader, if, if you lead in any capacity, in any capacity, shepherding is a part of your responsibility. And if you're thinking, well, Pastor Jared, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor. <laughs> you're a professional pastor. You're supposed to do that. Well, uh, I, you might not believe this. Some of you that know me really well definitely believe this. But pastoring uh, does not come as easy to me as you can imagine. Now, public speaking, not a problem. <laughs> I don't have a problem public speaking. But pastoring, it's, it's more difficult than you think. Being a pastor, shepherding is, is a lot harder. It doesn't come as naturally to me as, as I would like. And I, it's hard for me to even admit that, but it's the truth. I'm still learning. I have a lot to learn. I've, I've pastored and, and been in ministry for many years, but, but it just doesn't come supernatural. I have to work at that. The only reason I tell you that is I'm trying to encourage you that it takes work. It doesn't always come natural. Pastoring and shepherding, shepherding people around you, shepherding those who are looking up to you, shepherding those who you have influence in their lives, it doesn't always come natural. But it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility at home. It's your responsibility at work. It's your responsibility at school and in your community. And so pastoring, for me, takes work. And probably for some of you, it does as well. So, for some of you, what I'm about to suggest will not be natural. But that doesn't mean that you don't care about people. You just care differently. But this is so important. But during times of uncertainty, during times of disruption, uh, our own patterns resist. And in some cases, our personalities or our temperament. In times of uncertainty, we have to step into the role of pastor. We have to step into the role of shepherd, especially when things are rocky, especially when things are scary. And, and because along with clarity and our moral authority, that's what people need. They need to see your humanity, that you step into that. It's not necessarily what they need most, but it is definitely what they need first. They need to see your humanity. So don't, be, don't hide behind what's comfortable. Don't barricade yourself behind busyness, which I'm really good at. Or a role or a title. Great leaders do what need to be done. And in times of disruption, in times of uncertainty, people need a shepherd. They need a shepherd who's, who's gained a level of influence in their life that is displaying 
protection and displaying reassurance and displaying clarity, displaying moral authority. But here's the thing, and I'll make you a promise. If you do this, even if you do it poorly, even if you do it awkwardly, people will respond to that. People will respond. They will appreciate the fact that you're stepping out of your comfort zone, that you're stepping outside of your box for the sake of putting them first. Because that's ultimately what we're supposed to do, right? Come on. As believers, ultimately what we're supposed to do is, is learn to put people before us. I mean, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus taught, right? Jesus was the perf- perfect example of that. He always put people first. So I'm going to give you this little story, and there's a, a particular situation that this story comes to us uh, from Peter by way of Mark. Mark writes this down in Mark's gospel, and it's a, it's a really after a stressful hands-on ministry time with Jesus and the apostles, they need a break, and so they decide to get out of town just go chill, get away for a little while. And so they leave the crowd, they rush away from the crowd, and they get into a boat. And here's what Mark actually writes as Peter tells him the story. He says in Mark chapter 6, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Anybody feel like that recently? Come on, come on. <laughs> None of you very much. You know, me, I, I want to get away. I love getting away to a solitary place. If I can find a solitary place, whew, that is like heaven to me. And so they decided to get away from the crowd and, and take a break. They've been so busy. And, and Mark continues the story, and he writes this. He says, but many who saw them, talking about Jesus and the apostles, leaving on the boat, they recognized them because Jesus had a crowd. Everybody knew who Jesus was. Everybody knew what he looked like. They see Jesus leaving, and they recognize him. They're like, hey, there he goes. He's getting in the boat. And so they do what people did back then. And they ran around the edge of the water, and they went from town to town. So this is not like running around a pond, okay? This is not running around the pond in your neighborhood, you know, with the fountains. We're talking about they ran around this lake from town to town, and eventually the scripture, Mark tells us, that they got there ahead of Jesus and the apostles. They watched them in the boat, and they ran around from these little towns, and they beat Jesus and the apostles to where they were going. And then something interesting happens. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd, and he got back on the boat, and he went to an even more solitary place. That's not true. I made that up. Okay? Don't look that up. Because it's not there. Here's actually what the Bible says. What Mark writes. He says, when Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. (laughs) They didn't have anyone to guide and lead them, anyone to protect them, anyone to nurture them or teach them or show them the way. So he began to teach them again. And he taught them many things again. 
And some of you remember this story. This is so powerful. Jesus gets out of the boat, and this crowd shows up, and they just wanted to go to a solitary place. They just wanted to go rest. But Jesus saw they needed a, a pastor. They needed a shepherd. This was really uncertain times for them, too, because Jesus was coming in and teaching these things that were just mesmerizing to them. He was, he was bringing into question everything that they taught, their whole, everything that they thought their whole lives. The law and the prophets and, and all these different, find him and Jesus can see the look of kind of blowing it up. And then he gets in a boat and leaves and they go and find him and Jesus can see the look in their eye. They needed him. They needed him. And so it didn't matter how tired he was and it didn't matter how drained he was and how exhausted he was and what his, his tea time was or his schedule was in this solitary place. They needed him. So he just began to teach. And we even know, if you remember from the story, he taught so long that they missed supper. His teaching lasted so long that they all missed dinner. And so Jesus did what a good shepherd would do, and he fed them. All 5,000 plus of them, really about 20,000 if you include the women and children. He fed them. That's what a good shepherd does. Later on, John, the Apostle John, he would record Jesus' description of his role as a shepherd. And really, this is really instructive for us, and it's inspiring. I hope it's inspiring for all of us, those of us who are responsible for maybe family members or a company or a community or your neighbors. Here's the posture that that John kind of tells us about as Jesus describes his role, stepping into his role as a shepherd. Here's what Jesus said. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, what I'm about to say next is really, 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 really important. During times of uncertainty and during times of disruption, your voice is more important than your words. Your voice is more important than your words. People looking to you for hope and and reassurance Your voice is more important than your words. Your voice is an expression of your humanity. People need to hear your voice. It's not enough for them to just read your words or read your emails or read your texts. Those are are formal times. But during times of disruption and uncertainty, find ways for people to hear your voice. When you're tempted to text, call, right? Let people hear your voice. And, and in fact, if you call, they're not going to answer anyway. Nobody answers anymore. <laughs> Leave a voicemail. That's my point. But listen, people need to hear your voice. Let them hear your voice because in your voice, it conveys your humanity. See, we're already giving our moral authority and walking our talk. And we're already being clear about who we, ha- who we are and what we can expect, even in an uncertain situation. But now they need to see your humanity. 
And this is symbolic leadership. And it goes back to what you've heard us say here before. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You're, you may have a team or you may work with a team that, that's too big for you to contact everyone. You may not be able to call everyone in your family. You may know, but listen, don't make that an excuse. Don't let that be an excuse for not calling anyone. Call somebody. Here's my excuse. This is what I'll say to myself. I'm just being honest. I'll say, self, well, since I can't do it for everyone, I shouldn't do it for anyone. Right? Has anybody ever used that excuse before? Well, since I can't do it for any, everybody, I guess I shouldn't do it for anyone because it's just going to make somebody mad. That's a pretty lame excuse. It's nonsense. Don't try to be fair. Try to be engaged. Do it for someone, and especially during seasons of disruption and times of uncertainty. Again, I'm, what I'm saying, this doesn't come naturally for me. Not be, because I don't care, but because I forget sometimes how important this is for us to be engaged as leaders, engaged in our family. One of the things I'm terrible at is, is communicating with, well, really anybody, but outside of my wife and my kids, I, don't, I rarely call my mom and dad, and they're probably watching, and they're probably shouting right now at the screen going, that's right, that's right. I just don't, I don't call, I don't text. I just don't, I, I'm not good at that. That's just not what I'm good at. And then beyond that, my extended family, I just don't, terrible at it. Really terrible. And I have a monster family. I just don't call and text. I'm just really not good at that. During times of uncertainty and disruption, especially to people that you have influence over that's a terrible excuse I've come home so many times and and uh Shelly's out at a at a competition with our daughter right now but <laughs> if she was here she would say amen to this one there's been so many times that I've come home and she'll say hey did you see so-and-so uh went to the hospital or so-and-so or got sick or something like that and I'll say no I didn't see that or whatever I'll say I'll call them, or I'll say, I'll, she'll say, did you call them? And I'll say, well, I'll call them later, or I'll text them later. And she hands me the phone, she says, I think you should probably call them now. I'll text them later. You should probably call them now. I'll just text them later. And, and here's, here's my excuse, maybe this is your, I just, I'm airing out all my dirty laundry here, so let's, but my excuse is this, if I don't have anything new to say, or inspiring, or a good illustration, or a good whatever, then I just don't know what to say sometimes. And that becomes everybody's excuse of why we don't call, is because we're not sure what to say. Again, your, your voice is more important than your words, more powerful than your words. It's really not that important what you say, it's just the fact that you say something. Mm, shout me down when I'm preaching good. So call somebody, even if you can't call Everybody, this is our responsibility as leaders. But if you're a Jesus follower, it even goes beyond that. If you're a Jesus follower, that goes beyond just good leadership etiquette. Because Jesus said this, and this is really powerful, but he said, I am the good shepherd. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And when we read something like that, especially if you're a Jesus follower, it kind of puts him in a category of one, but that's not his point. He says, I'm the good shepherd, which means we are, as Jesus followers, we have to be willing to step into that role as shepherd, right? Think about that. If we are, as Jesus followers, if Jesus was willing to step into the role of shepherd, then we have no choice but to follow. But what he says next might just cause your heart to skip a beat. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. To which we think, well, I'm not sure I'm that good of a shepherd. But Jesus is not, fortunately for us, this is not literal. It's not literal for for most of us. What he's trying to get to is that he puts the sheep first. They become priority. He, he, He makes them more important especially more important than they think they are. And he puts them first. He, he gets out of his comfort zone to make the sheep feel comforted. So don't just be a father, be dad. Don't just be a mother, be mom. Don't just be a boss or a manager or a supervisor or a teacher or a coach, but be human. And to use Jesus' words, don't be a hired hand. A hired hand is who's somebody who's there because they have, not because they want to be there. They just have to be there. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He runs away. Why? Because Jesus says it. He's a hired hand. There's not an investment there. There's not an exchange of of moral authority and clarity and and influence. And so when it becomes dangerous, when it becomes uncharted, when it becomes uh, uh, disruptive, uncertain, the hired hand gets out of there. Gets out of there. The good shepherd, the shepherd stays. The shepherd sticks around. hired hand doesn't stick around when things are uncomfortable during times of uncertainty and disruption. So anytime the wolf comes and it starts howling and things seem dangerous, they get out. Showing us that your presence is more important than your presentation. Showing us that your presence is more important than your preparation. Sometimes this is where I struggle as a leader. Sometimes even as a father. Sometimes you you feel like there's no reason for me to show up or or to say because I don't have anything new to say, but it's your presence. It's your presence that makes a difference. It's your presence that changes everything. Uh, There there are times that there are events that your kids have. It's just your presence. It doesn't matter what type of an event, if it's not a real event, it's, a practice, it's just your presence. You see what I'm saying? And, and for the people that you have influence in, uh, the, in your community and in your family or in your workplace, it's your presence. It's your presence. Don't make this mistake. In times of uncertainty, presence is everything. 
And this is difficult for some of us because we're solution people, right? Or we're progress-oriented. We don't have to have all the solutions. Because during times of disruption, there's nothing more important than really just you. When a shepherd was on site and the wolves would come around, the sheep pack in around the shepherd. And really, there's no fear. When the shepherd's not there and the wolf comes around, sheep scatter. It becomes very dangerous. They become isolated. It's mono a mono, it's one on one. It becomes dangerous. Your presence in any situation is so important. Now, this next illustration may be a little bit close to home, but I'm just giving you a warning. But have you ever been in a, a waiting room when someone important to you or a family member was having like a serious surgery or something really important going on? We had a guy in our church who's a pretty good friend of mine was having a pretty serious procedure done. And we sat there and, you know, the, he was trying, the, the guy who was having the procedure was trying to make it like it was no big deal. But after talking to this doctor for a long time, we realized how really dangerous this surgery was. And so we go in there and he and, his, and me and his wife are just hanging out in the waiting room waiting and an hour goes by and two hours go by and two hours. Let me ask you this. If you've ever been in that situation, can the doctor check in too much? Right? Can the doctor check in too often? No. It doesn't even matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what the doctor's presentation is. It doesn't matter. It just, they cannot check in too often. They can fumble their words. They can mess up all the grammar in the world. The point is, we just need them to check in. We just need reassurance. There are doctors, and my wife's had surgery. There are doctors who will step out of surgery uh, in the middle of surgery just to come in and say, hey, things are going good. Everything's fine. You know, they're wrapping up or whatever. And you're like, oh, thank God. Because they know that you're hanging on the fact that you just need their presence. You just need them to say something. So as a father... As a husband, as a leader, as a boss, here's the question. Here's the question that you are responsible for asking. Here's the question that I'm responsible for asking every single day to the people who I try to look after, which namely is my know that I care around me. And the question is this, do people know that I care? Do they really know that I care? And, and you need to ask that question. Do people really know that you care? Have I been, is my humanity showing? Am I showing them who I am? Do they understand that I'm doing my best to understand where they are and where they're at and what they're going through? I'm, I'm doing my very best to get into their situation and hear them and listen to them. A few years ago, we... Uh, we went to the Pride Parade in Houston, and we took a big banner, and we took a group of people, and, and the main mission is really this, what I'm, I'm talking about this morning. My main mission wasn't to go preach right, wrong, whatever. My main mission was for them to see my humanity, and my humanity 
was seeing their humanity. That they're just people. They're people with a mom and a dad. They're people with brothers and sisters. They're people who grew up in church. They're people who've never been around church. But part of my job as a leader is to show my humanity by allowing them to know that I see their humanity. And you know what happened? When they saw that I could see their humanity and that I recognized them, they began to break. They began to open up. They began to cry. They began to talk to us. They began to share, share deep, dark hurts and pains that they've had in their life. They sat there and they cried and they cried and they cried. Because when we let people see our humanity, it changes everything. It's what they need first. Not necessarily what they need most. What they need first is to see that we recognize that. So to wrap it up, I'm going to tell you a story. And I really contemplated telling this story in this season that we're in because of things have been so crazy with our election process. But it involves President Obama. Now, if you're a Democrat, you're going to really love this story. And if you're a, a Republican, you should really love this story because you should be mature enough to know that we can learn and grow from anybody. And so for the next few minutes, I want you to put political filters to the side and stop thinking about sides or, or one way or the other. And I just want you to listen to uh, this moment um, because this incident from his, his presidency, it really punctuates the importance of taking on the mantle of shepherd and, and pastor during times of disruption and, and uncertainty. But I don't know if, if you're there, but have any of you ever visited a friend or a family member who has just lost a child? That's brutal. As a pastor, unfortunately, I have, I have been there a few times. And it is awful. There are no words, zero words that you can say um, that help. Uh, again, it goes back to it's just your presence. But I found myself in this situation. and But imagine being in that situation in that environment 20 times to comfort 20 families in the same afternoon. That's where President Obama found himself. Walking in by choice, not because he had to, but following the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting in 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut. On the morning of December 15th, a lot of you can remember this, there was a really tragic time in our history. A 20-year-old broke into the school right after the doors had been locked, and he shot and killed 26 people, including 20 children, before taking his own life. The oldest child that he, that he killed that day was seven. So as a father of a six-year-old and seven-year-old, it's hard to imagine, hard to swallow. Michelle Obama, in her memoirs, she said this. 
She said it was the darkest day in the White House. She wrote, when I walked in to the Oval Office, Barack and I embraced silently. There was nothing to say. No words. Now, as a fact guy, and that's how she described her husband, President Obama, she said, as a fact guy, he demanded to be fully briefed, and he wanted all the details. There was a man named Joshua DeBoe who was actually the spiritual advisor to President Obama at that time. He wrote a book called The President's Devotional. In this book, he describes the Saturday afternoon that President Obama called him and said that he wanted to meet with these families of the victims and he wanted Joshua to go with him. So Joshua describes what happens when they arrived in his book and he says this. We prepared seven or eight classrooms for the families of the slain children and teachers. Two or three families to a classroom. The president took a deep breath. He stilled himself. And he went into the first classroom. And what happened next, I'll never forget. Person after person received an engulfing hug from our commander-in-chief. He would say, tell me about your son. Tell me about your daughter. And then you would hold pictures of the lost beloved as their parents describe their favorite foods their favorite television show the sounds of their laughter for the younger siblings for those who the younger siblings of those who had passed away many of them two three or four years old way too young to understand the president would grab them and toss them in the air laughing and then he would hand them a box of white house m&m's He goes on and he writes this. He says, in each room, I saw his eyes water, but he did not break. And the entire scene would repeat itself for hours over and over and over again through well over a hundred relatives of the fallen, each one equally broken, each one equally wrecked by the loss. Joshua says that he and the president flew home in silence and that the president never, ever spoke of these sacred moments in public. It's probably why maybe some of you have never even heard this story. Now, here's why I tell you that story. is because it takes our excuses away. Because that day, President Obama was pastor-in-chief. He was shepherd-in-chief. It's not a title, it's because he acted and he led in that capacity. He showed his humanity. He took the mantle of his authority, set it aside for what the moment called for. That's what the moment called for. Think about it like this. He probably could have gotten away with a handwritten letter. Probably probably could have gotten away with a phone call. He could have maybe just met with a few families, but he invited their relatives, everybody that was affected. 
And he expressed his condolences. And then he flew home. He waded in to that moment because that's what the moment called for. And in times of uncertainty and in times of disruption, that's what leadership is. It's pastoring, it's shepherding, it's getting in there when it just is terrible. Wading into the moment and understanding and showing your humanity. The point being is there's a time for non-huggers to start hugging. There's a time for order givers to stop and listen. There's a time for fact people to sit there and just feel. There's time for us progress people to pause and just stop and wait in the moment. There's a time for fathers to be dad and for mothers to be mom. Certainty. Words are important, but words are always not, not always enough. We have to learn to lead with our humanity. Put our humanity out there. Show, show our, our, our soul and our hearts for people that are lost, for people that are broken, for people that are hurting. It's your presence and your compassion and your empathy. Assure people who are looking to you that you care. Assure people that are around you that you care. This season that we're in right now, I don't even know what today is, uh, November the 8th, 2020, this season we're in right now is a great time for you to stop and show humanity, like genuine humanity, that I care. And the way you do that is you need to understand why and how and what, what they're going through. Understand where they are. Because when you get them, that opens up a level of influence and allows your humanity to show through. And then you can speak as a leader and lead and guide. So I challenge you this week to really ask yourself, is my humanity showing? Is it obvious? Or do I have this line and that there's a line drawn, and there's a group of people over here. You can see my humanity all you want. But you, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because you're not like me. You don't act like me. You don't look like me. You didn't vote like me. So there's a line. Or can you say, you know what? My role doesn't change. The election, whatever happens, if it ever gets settled, if it's settled already, if it changes, then my role doesn't change. My role is to love people the way that He loved me. And He says, when you do that, Jared, everybody will know you're, you're mine, that you're like me, that you look like when you love everybody the way that you love me, the way that I love you. So I'm starting to practice more and more and more. I'm not always good at it, but I'm practicing. To make sure that when people see me, that they see my humanity. Um, yesterday, 
I had to run and pick up a check from uh, a homeowner, and I was going down uh, Westlake Houston Parkway, and this guy, I don't know if he was not paying attention or texting or whatever, but I'm there. there's curbs on that road, you know, and he started drifting into my lane, and I am coming up to the curb, so there was a break, like a driveway, so I turned my truck and hopped up that into the grass with two of my wheels because I didn't want to scrape the curb all the way down with my rims. And I'm honking, and finally he jerks back over, and he's just staring at me. Fortunately, I just finished this message. My flesh came alive. My flesh had a lot of words, a lot of reaction. But I had just written this message, and I had really been thinking about it. And I pull up next to him, he's staring at me, and I was like, it's okay. And he goes, sorry about that. He didn't apologize at first. He just stared me down like as if I did something. All I did was honk because I didn't want to hit the telephone pole that was coming up in the grass. And he's staring me down, and I just said, it's okay. No problem. And he smiles and says, I'm sorry. I drove away. I'm not bragging because I don't do that all the time. I'm, I'm just saying that if we begin to practice showing our humanity, I don't know what he was going through. I don't know what a text might have been, and I'm not saying there, there's an excuse for that, but I, I don't know what he was going through. But all I know is that I gave him a chance to see my humanity. That I tried to look at him and just say, I get it. It's okay. I get it. And I know that's just a small, small picture. But I challenge you with that this week. We have our moral authority that we practice what we preach. That we try to walk our talk and, and the expectations that we set for other people. That we live those ourselves. We have our clarity. Even when times are uncertain. Our clarity is this, that Jesus loves us and that He'll never, ever, ever leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never quit on us. He never gives up on us. I can be pretty clear on that even when I'm uncertain. And thirdly, that I let my humanity show for people for people who are broken, who are hurting. And I think that makes all the difference in the world when we do that. Jesus, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just help us in this season. One, God, we, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those who are who are going to be leading whoever that may be God we pray right now for them we pray for their family God we pray that you always have a window and you always have a door into their life into their heart God but our certainty and our, our clarity is always this that, that you're always going to be with us that you're always going to be with us no matter what we go through you, you promised us that you'll be with us even to the very end 
So Jesus, I pray this week that help us to see clearly with our own eyes the opportunities presented to us to allow our humanity to show. I I pray for opportunities for everyone that is here this morning, for everyone that is watching online. I pray that you'll give us opportunities, God, that we can can cross paths with someone, that we can convince them that we get them, that we understand where they are, even if we don't like where they are, even if we wouldn't choose to be where they are, even if they made that by choice. God, that we can look at them and say, you know what? I get it. I understand. I understand you. And I accept you right there. Father, I pray that this challenges us every day, God, that it challenges us in relationships. Maybe that there are people that we've we've purposely avoided, that there are people that we go to school with, that we go to work with, that we have purposely avoided and never had a relationship with because we just couldn't agree. God, I pray that we practice showing our humanity and that we would begin to tear a wall down one brick at a time. Father, I just pray that you lead us, guide us, give us wisdom in these uncertain times. We pray all these things in your precious Son's name. Amen.